0: So the thick the thin hoops where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host Nitin. What's good, Nathan?
1: What's up, man? These uh, these Western Conference games every night are just this is like Pac-12 after dark. You just never know what's gonna happen. And each night I feel like the standings keep flipping on their heads, but now we literally have three more days of the regular season for you know for us to finally figure out who the hell is in the play-in. You know, what team Kyrie is going to be playing for next year. A lot of questions to be answered down the stretch. Dude, I'm tearing my hair out with these scenarios. Like, I
0: need... You know, ESPN has that NFL playoff simulator, which I is really agreed, good because yeah. you can just, uh, week by week, pick who you think is going to win or pick who wins and then see what the outcome is. The NBA needs that for the last couple of games of the season, right?
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. Because the other thing is... um with the with the NBA, like I understand, there's a ton of games, but yeah, like you said, with a week left, like it's basically what the NBA, uh, what the NFL is asking for. So it's not that difficult to to show, and people wouldn't be freaking out because all these ties are going to lead to multi-team. It's not just head-to-head. There's multi-team tiebreakers. There's four or five way. Like how do we? How do you know who's got the better conference record? Who's got a better record for his top ten teams? There's infinite number of ways this thing gets decided, and all we look at is records and. For me, the most important thing is how does Indiana, Washington, and Orlando sort out uh, who who gets the sixth pick, uh, six best odds. But that's what I'm worried about. But it really translates even to you know trivial things like the playoff. So uh, let's seasons. talk
0: about that race because this is the first year in a long time I've not been paying attention to that race. How What is the Wizards' outlook in terms of uh, draft position right now? What needs to happen for them to move up? Well, the the Wizards are
1: always going to do—you know—they're always going to do the worst thing possible uh, for their franchise. And so we stupidly beat Boston last week. We waited way too long to like rest Porzingis, Beal, and Kuzma, and now we're in a dead heat. Basically, us, Indiana, and Orlando are all tied. Each of us has an extremely winnable game left. However, Orlando's was tonight when Cleveland benched everyone, and they benched everyone too, so they're losing. Indiana's got a home game against the Pistons, which even if you out, you can't really out-tank the Pistons, right? And so they got, they're starting James Wiseman, Jalen Duran, and Marvin Bagley at times. So They're really going for it. That could be a loss. If the three of us tie, Orlando's 6, Washington 7, Indiana's 8. But we lose the head-to-head, I think, against both teams. So we have to get into that three-way mix. Otherwise, we're going to be picking the later of the two selections, regardless of where we all finish.
0: Wait, so if it's only a three-way tie, is it conference record? And then if it's a four-way tie, it changes? I'm, I'm still I think confused by the it time.
1: It's like finish. division record at some point, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, like, Portland was in this mix, and then they got it right. They were like, Dame, see you later, maybe never. Um, and, we're, you know, we'll, we'll come talk to you when we need you. And uh, for, for the Wizards, which, you know, again, they should have done that, but they didn't. Now Portland, you look at them and the odds of them getting a top four pick are much, much higher than where we may end up, which is eight. Uh, but yeah. it looks like we're at least solidified to finish in, in one of those spots.
0: Still got a, you know, percentage chance at Wemby.
1: Yeah. It's out there. It's definitely out there. It's out there.
0: Um, you know, while you're looking at those odds, I just bought playoff tickets for game one yesterday. So your boys going to game one, golden one center. It's gonna be Probably the most insane experience. Um, and it's going to be worth every penny. Win or lose. I think it's going to be a magical night. So
1: so last time we were on the pod, you were saying the prices were like out of control. Did they calm down at all? So we got good prices, right? Um, Moet's a season
0: ticket holder. So he got the access to an earlier set of tickets. Um, mm-hmm. So we got lower level for $400 each. Oh, uh, damn. Which is not bad That's... at all. But I have a feeling once they go for sale to the public and the resale market opens up it's gonna be a lot more so it's i feel like
1: what you were looking at earlier was like 800 to basically sell peanuts outside the stadium like that's pretty good i think resale is gonna it's gonna climb up it's gonna get bad if you i mean the funny thing is the most likely teams to play are either three california counterparts Yep. um and so I was kind of thinking, I was like, if the Lakers come to town, that's going to be a resale ticket that you could probably get 3X that for, right? Yep. But then I was like, if the Warriors come, maybe that one, because it's closer, definitely the Clippers would be the cheapest. So if you if you do have a change of heart, you don't want, you can't face the music of being live for Game 1, you better hope for Lakers or Warriors, because then you're going to make big-time profit.
0: Yeah, and uh, the funny thing about um, the Warriors is the tickets there in Chase might be cheaper. Because, I mean, their fans are used to the first round's nothing, right? So yeah. I, I don't even know if those tickets would be that expensive, which is so funny to think that there might be more. It's cheaper to go in San Francisco than it will be in Sacramento, but we'll see.
1: Well, you told me all the Silicon Valley guys are eating up real estate in San Francisco anyway, so in San, Sacramento anyway, so maybe this is the next frontier. Maybe, maybe. And now we got a winning basketball team, too, so who knows? <laughs> all right, let's get into today's show. There's a lot to cover. Um we got NBA awards ballots. We got All NBA, and then we got to talk about this new CBA that may change all of this next year in terms of all the different rules and stipulations they put in place. So I figured let's get it rolling with the awards ballot, the MVP conversation, which again used to be kind of a fun thing you had. It was like a good way to measure, you know, who you who which archetype of player and narrative you most resonated with, etc. But it was always very, you know, a calm argument has now turned into let's yell at each other at max volumes on first take. Let's go after one another. Let's really make this personal. So let's try our best to do the same. Um, We're going to start with the MVP award. Do you remember, we talked about this months ago, but do you remember who the MVP award is named after? Is it Jordan? I don't even remember. (laughs) It might be Michael. All I remember is the Jerry West Clutch Award. That's the only (laughs) one I know. Let's assume it's Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time. So And I I want not just your MVP, I want your top five ballots. Let's hear them. This is a really uh, interesting seminal year for MVP voting. And based on the last straw poll, it's as close as it's ever been, maybe. So what you got? All right. So
0: we first have to go with number one, Joel Embiid. He's my MVP. He was my MVP at the beginning of the season. My prediction uh, you know, over the season, I think it's changed back and forth. We can go into the stats. We can go into the VORPs and the PERs. and the, I think ultimately where his case rests, that this was a razor-thin margin among all three players, Giannis, Jokic, and Bede. To me, I think Embiid. the last statement game he had against the Celtics was big. Now, I know we don't want to overemphasize the last game of the season, but um, I think in the in the last couple of weeks where Jokic is clearly winding down, Giannis also to a certain extent there's nothing to play for. That last impression matters and I'm I'm firmly in the camp of dude, if it's this close, just give it to the guy who has not gotten it. I know people don't like that logic, but like you can literally argue to the death for any one of these guys. There's no one argument that stands out more. If you have one, I'm happy to hear it. I think Embiid has a great case from uh how dominant he's been, the eye test. I know you've had some categories you've set up and, and, and eye test was one of them. The stats are there. The dominance has been there. They're a good enough team. You know, we talk about record wise. They're not that far behind Denver. So even if they're not a one seed, the record is very similar. And ultimately, I think he's he's due. And let's just give the man his hardware. I think we overthink these things too often. So I think it's Joel Embiid. And before I get to my other five, I want to hear your take on
1: My take is this. For a long time, it used to be best player on the best team, right? And then it was like, well, that player has been surrounded by a lot of talent. We don't want another situation where Derrick Rose wins over who the real best players in the league, whether LeBron or, you know, Dwight Howard at the time, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Then it became who's got the best stats? Who's got the best analytics? The problem I have with Joel Embiid is I don't know which box he checks of those other than I test dominance, and a decision to create a narrative around him. I've gone back and forth on this a lot. My MVP is Giannis. Because you're talking about a guy who's not just the best player on the best team. He is pretty much universally considered the best player in the world. So it's not a question of him being if it was a Jason Tatum, who's clearly not at Embiid's level individually. I can understand pushing back on that. But when it's Giannis, who's the guy that is most feared in the league, Still putting up 31-12 and in all NBA defensive level performance on that end, too. I'm trying to figure out why we're running from the fact that Giannis is the MVP. And I think in their last 40 games, they're like 32-8 and when he plays. Something crazy like that. Let me give you a little bit about Joel Embiid's MVP charge here. You said he locked it up uh, versus Boston. And to be honest, he did lock it up. He is going to win, right? But let me tell you about all the marquee games down the stretch that he played. He got Golden State. Put up 46. Impressive. Loss. Next night, Phoenix with no Kevin Durant. Loss. Monday. That Monday. Nuggets. Showdown with Jokic. DNP. The game after that. Milwaukee. Loss. Finally, he he, he scrounges together a win versus Boston. No Jalen Brown, by the way. And they almost blew a 7-point lead in the last minute. And tonight, playing against Miami starters, they're down 21 at halftime. So, and I know Harden missed some of these games, but he was there for a lot. I'm trying to understand what is this case that he's been making and developing and how is he how is he crescendoing into the end of the season um, with the Philadelphia team, which after a really hot, I would say, February and March has cooled off uh, quite a bit here down the stretch.
0: I think part of it's also the Bucks. They've gotten just this fantastic season from Brooke Lopez, who's a front runner for defensive player of the year, which doesn't take away from the impact Giannis has defensively, but just, you know, he shoulders that burden. So if you're going to make the defensive case, he's got a lot of help. And Drew holiday has been fantastic this season. And I, I just think the, the Bucks, as good as Giannis has been, it's still, it's, it's the LeBron case for me. It's every year we don't want to give LeBron the MVP, even though he's the most dominant player. He's the best player on his team. And granted, there were years he didn't you know the the calves were not the number one seed. I get that.
1: That's the point you're missing. But he, I mean, the Bucks are going to be the only team to win sixty games this year.
0: Yeah, but it's look at this point. The sixers This is such. This is a season in which the records to me. I think it's less relevant. And Giannis is is doing something we've seen him do. And yes, that's the price of being a superstar. The price is your expectations go up, and you don't just get handed MVPs for being the best player in the best team. I think that. When we look at it, and this is Simmons has this opinion that I actually agree with totally. It is a narrative-based award. It is about who this season is about. This season was never about the Bucks. This season was about the ascension of the Sixers. Of course, everything has to do with the postseason, and we'll see where they go. But for once they finally look like a true contender, and Bede has having the best season of his career, he's been unstoppable. I think the season's more defined by that than it is by Giannis's continued dominance.
1: And so, to me, oh as well, yeah, Wait, tell me, now. ascension to what they were the number one seed last year. This is why Giannis to a true deserved contender. the MVP. I, I actually, th- this is why Giannis. This, I'm sorry, Embiid M- M- deserved it last year when you gave it to Jokic, and you and all the Jokic fanboys were out here being like, "Oh, this is his MVP." Um, you gave it to Jokic it, too. It, yeah, I love Jokic <laughs> as a sixth seed. If Embiid just got it, then as the one seed, without the whole Ben Simmons saga taking up, like putting a you know, atom bomb in the middle of the roster. This year would make more sense to give it to Giannis, and then the world would be happy. Giannis would have three, Embiid would have one, Jokic would have one. That represents their hierarchy in in league um, legacy rankings as well as of now.
0: But guess what? We didn't do that last year. And you can blame it on me, but I don't have a vote. And we broke the model of best player, best team by giving it to Jokic. And that's why I think now we've opened Pandora's box. It doesn't have to be best player, best team. And I think Embiid is a really great case.
1: Can I ask you something? Uh, and, and as you go through your balance, I guess this much will be clear. But how close was Jokic to winning three t- his th- third straight MVP? And how much of that being his third straight detracted you? It
0: detracted me a lot. Now, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I Should it matter? No. You should evaluate these things in a silo. But, dude, MVP is not a – if. Narrative does not matter. Let's just spit out numbers and then determine it based on some advanced analytic formula. Why even that's vote basically on it? What, baseball what is does. the point of media voting on an award? Media people have biases, people evaluate things differently. So that's why I think narrative does matter. And for me, Jokic could have won a third. I'm not saying I would never vote from third, but he had to do something substantially better than the competition. And his advanced stats in a lot of ways are substantially better. But I can counter by saying defensively, he has not had the same impact. So to me, because he's been on the same playing level, I am going to dock him a little bit for having this third straight one. And I'm going to give more credibility to a guy like Embiid who continues to just ball out and at some point I think deserves recognition. And I think in the grand scheme of things, Embiid being a one-time MVP winner in NBA history, that sits fine with me. Jokic being a three-time MVP award winner, I think it's not as accurate as how we're going to look back at all this.
1: I do agree with that. I do agree with the notion that Jokic being a three-time MVP winner, which suddenly puts him in a rarefied air that I think maybe only five or ten players in league history have gotten there, right? Like Bird, LeBron, Jordan, Kareem, Magic, uh, Russell. I'm not even sure how many more have gotten there, right? No, no Duncan, no Kobe, no Shaq, obviously. So you start to like really rocket up the list of guys who have done something in this league. And there is a little bit of like, look, everything you do in the context of sports, part of what makes sports fun is the legacy of it all, right? Is the historical uh, comparisons, the context you put them in. So it's like, I think that's what they're changing about the game and the way they evaluate the game. It's all about numbers. It's all about sort of like on-off rating, net ratings, et cetera, like the argument that Jokic is a great defender because the, the data proves it out. It's it's difficult to, to argue with people like that, but I do think that to take it the other direction, it is valuable um, to show how much, uh, you know, it is valuable, I'd say, to, to really limit how much you bestow on a guy before he really goes and gets it done at the biggest stage. Now, like I said, it would be very interesting if Kevin Durant's foot was two inches past that line because suddenly the Bucs don't win in the year Giannis won his second, right? Right. Um, and so suddenly you're like, oh, wait a second, this guy deserves a criticism. There's no way he would be winning no. one anymore um, until he proved it. And so he did. If Jokic goes and does that, right, like it's perfectly set up for them, right? The West is in shambles, up and down. Every team is up and down. As much as there's talent below him, there's nobody that plays well for more than a week in a row. And so it it will be interesting because this is the moment for him and it's all set up beautifully. And if he doesn't take it, then you got a question uh, what kind of superstar level player he is and whether he should have three MVPs or not. So I think that that is a, a factor for a lot of voters as I, I don't, I don't blame them for it to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, look at it. Uh, you're not just selecting Jokic over Embiid, you're selecting Jokic over Giannis an insane Giannis season and Embiid. So to award him that after already winning two MVPs, you have to give me an argument that is just so out of this world and so clearly head and shoulders above everyone else for it to make sense to me. And the fact is he does not have that. I don't care what people say. And I think in the last month, people have kind of come to terms with that. A month ago, this was a much more heated debate. But I think at this point, it's not Jokic. He's number third, three on my ballot. It's actually Embiid, Giannis, and then Jokic. And I'm, I love Jokic. I wanted him to win last year. I wanted him to win the year before. It's not a... You know, a stylistic thing. You don't, love, day. Jokic. You don't so,
1: love Jokic that much.
0: Maybe not as much as you. I know you always like to talk about how much you love Jokic from, you know, four or five years ago. But, um, but, anyways, I predicted his first MVP, remember? That was my bold prediction episode. I was. He was like it a was. 25, 25 to 1, to one. Uh, favorite or 25 to 1 odds. But, anyways, so yeah. rounding out my ballot, I'll just finish my top three, right? So I went Embiid, Giannis,
1: Jokic, Tatum, Sabonis. Okay, interesting. So so Tatum is going to finish fourth on 100% of ballots, I'm pretty sure. Um, so that one is pretty much locked up. I have Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. So I also put Jokic third. Uh, and realistically, I think Embiid is going to win, like I mentioned, and I'm totally fine with that. Uh, Tatum four, and I have Donovan Mitchell fifth. I think so. Make the argument, you know. I could ask you to make the arguments for Sabonis, but I get it. Like, I don't think it's a crazy one. I think it's a very real one. I mean, I feel like I need to justify my Mitchell pick somehow.
0: The argument and look, some people want to put Fox in the spot. There's an argument whether Fox or Sabonis is more important, which could even be a reason both of them maybe can't be five because they're both hand in hand. I think Sabonis. When you talk about and most valuable. Um, I think everything runs through him. And there's he's not a great defender, but he's actually not horrible. And there's so much stress put on him on defense. There's so much dependency on him on offense to run all the DHOs, to play the pick and roll game, to, to score. He's literally the engine for everything we do. Now, Fox is to a certain extent, but Fox, most of these games, can kind of take it easy and then really ramp it up in the fourth. But the engine that keeps us going wire to wire is Sabonis, And he's played, what, 77 games at this point? Um, he's literally played the almost entire season, which is rare for a big in this day and age. So to me, I just think that without him, like he's ultimately the fundamental difference between the Kings of yesteryear and this third seed version. And so I think he deserves yeah. his flowers.
1: Well, it is funny because, like, the games played thing we didn't even cover in the MVP conversation because they all ended up fairly close to one one another with all these games Jokic has missed down the stretch. But he's at 68. I think Embiid plays his 65th game today, and Giannis is at 63. So they're all right in that same mix. Um, But let me just – this is just for your benefit because I think it's interesting. PER, Jokic is first in the league. True shooting percentage, Jokic is first in the league. And below him are a bunch of low-volume guys until you get to Kevin Durant at 7. Assist percentage, Jokic is second in the league. Rebound percentage, Jokic is sixth. And again, he's ahead of the other two candidates in all of these categories. Offensive win shares, Jokic is first. Defensive win shares, Jokic is... 10th and Giannis is 8th and Embiid 5th. That's the one. Win shares overall, Jokic won. Win shares by 48, Jokic won. Box plus minus, Jokic won by a mile. Vorp, Jokic won by a mile. So His rankings, I mean, you have to really put aside analytics if you don't vote for him, but there's going to be a lot of people who subscribe to this theory so wholeheartedly that I think he's still going to get a ton of votes and could even sneak a win.
0: Yeah, I look, I he's got a good argument and the stats, like I said, the advanced stats are so ahead of everyone else. But at some point, Nathan, if this award is about the leader, advanced agree. stats, saying, then it's... why do we vote on it? Let's just let's just um, sort rank them by all your vorps and uh win shares and everything and then we're done. Like why even vote on it? Then that's fine.
1: I'm with you. Look, I I I agree. I'm just saying if there's a path for Jokic to win is that the analytics dominance is really hard to ignore if you're someone who subscribed to that that kind of school of thinking. But but see, it it becomes a polarizing argument because if you don't
0: say that that's a reason why you should vote for Jokic, it becomes, oh, you don't believe in analytics. You're only using subjective measures like the eye test. No, I think there's a balance of both. And Jokic wins on the advanced stats. And there's other things I think these other guys win at. And I think that's how I evaluate it
1: okay so let's move on we got defensive player of the year this one's maybe less uh interesting in some ways but who do you have as defensive player of the year i'm giving it to
0: brooke lopez um i think it comes down to brooke lopez or jaron jackson uh i don't Mm -hmm. really think anyone's got as good of a case i think the and lopez the argument against lopez is he shares the defensive burden with Giannis, and so it's much easier for him because everything can kind of get funneled in. You know, he doesn't have to step out as much. Jaron Jackson does a little bit more. I just think that the number of shots he defends because of one, the minutes he plays, just so much more than Jaron Jackson. And two, the responsibility, everything gets funneled to him and he's contesting all these shots. I just think he has a higher burden. And if if you look at the data, he has He leads the league with 22.7 shots defended per game. It's well above the next person. And he's almost 2x more than Jaron Jackson. So I just think at some point it becomes a volume game where the impact is so immense that I think I'd give it to him.
1: Yeah, and the other thing with uh, Brook Lopez is he's played over 600 minutes more than Jaron Jackson, right? I don't think people understand. Jaron Jackson's only plays twenty eight minutes a game. Part of that is because he fouls at an alarming late a rate. Part of that is because you know Memphis is up ahead a lot, uh, especially against the poorer teams of the East uh, the West. Excuse me. So he definitely gets some time to rest. But I am going to go Jaron Jackson Jr. I'll tell you why. The biggest thing that I was most impressed by with them is even after losing Steven Adams, they've maintained pace. They're second in in the league in defensive rating. No Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. So he's really the only big man with any sort of experience on that team. And he's held it together. They were missing jaw. Granted, that probably helps their defense. So that's not necessarily a positive, but they're missing jaw. Desmond Bain's been in and out of the lineup. And even he, you know, came back from that broken foot or, or ankle or whatever he had in the offseason. He still, you know, got up to 62 games. So he played a good amount. I just think you you look at his his blocks. They're incredible, and it's not just like highlight blocks like um, Javel McGee or something. Like they're they're blocks that are critical to the defense. You look at his you know box plus minus; it's it's near the top of the league. And I think in general, he's a guy that is the type of defender that is the most important kind in the modern NBA. Switchable, able to guard bigs, able to guard guards, you know, able to help off the weak side. Like he can do it all. And I think he anchors a lot of what Memphis is doing. And I don't know something about Memphis this season. I don't know if it's because they got into a bunch of off the court stuff with Ja or like with Shannon Sharp or whatever. Like people don't really seem to be paying attention to him. They've been mowing people down of late. I know they, their schedule hasn't been hard, but they're kind of getting into the playoffs at the right speed. I, a lot of t- people talk about avoiding five uh, because they don't want to play Phoenix, but they're willing to take a chance at the play in. It's like, yeah, Phoenix might be a little bit better than Memphis at a peak, but do you want to you know run into that well-oiled machine either? That's going to have everyone basically healthy and maybe even Stephen Adams back. Like it, it definitely seems like people are ignoring what they can be in the playoffs. And I think whoever is in that seven seed is in for a rude awakening. So I'm going Jaron Jackson. I just I just love what he brings on a night to night basis, regardless of the matchup and the style that he's uh, facing. I think it's fair. I think with Memphis, they just showed some vulnerability prior
0: to Jaw's suspension. They were on a little bit rocky. Um, at some point they seeded the second seat to the Kings. I, so I, I, but to your point, they've been, they've still been dominant. They've been just as good as last year in a lot of ways, despite the injuries, despite guys in and out of the lineup, despite no Steven Adams for a lot of the year. Um, but yeah, Jared Jackson, I, it's just a minutes thing for me, but he's it, the minutes he does play. He's been unbelievable. So that makes sense.
1: The, the the minutes are huge, like six hundred minutes, just to give people context. Like, think about it like this. If you average thirty minutes a game, that's twenty, 20 exactly.
0: It was just too big of a gulf for me, but
1: it's significant. Um, so I don't hate that. And 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 Brooke Lopez, by the way, let me just make sure I have this right. He's played seventy eight games. So he's been a total yeah. Iron Man. Uh, for the Bucs all year. Because last year, if you remember, he only played 10 games, and that was a big reason their defense struggled during the regular season. Mm-hmm. He wasn't quite healthy, I think, in the playoffs. Not, now, of course, they were missing Chris Middleton as well. So the fact that he's been out there basically every game is is a huge reason why the Bucs are top in the league in defense. But, I mean, the thing with him is just, like, <laughs> his transformation. Like, the start of his career in Brooklyn feels like another lifetime ago. <laughs> He was a back to the basket player. He was a 20 and eight every night. He wasn't a good defensive player. He was thought of as like almost like a old school version of Porzingis, right? Where he'll get good numbers. He'll have good efficiency, but you can't build around him because he can't guard the paint. That is what he was for like a long time. And I don't like it's still sort of unclear to me how and when he just flipped everything on a a dime.
0: Probably the craziest transformation we've ever seen uh, of a player from what he was to what he became.
1: Can I give you an example of another? Maybe that's more. You might not agree because play style wise, this is probably not true. I was going to say Kawhi Leonard. From what he was as early San Antonio years where he basically was a defender who couldn't shoot to becoming one of the most devastatingly efficient offensive players in the league. So I
0: agree in the time that in terms of how he grew his game, but the core of what made him good back then was still applicable. Yeah, that's fair. Lopez still scores, but he's not the same player at all. He was playing like Al Jefferson back in the day. Just everything yeah, no, in the pub. Right. Good footwork, right? And he was seven, he's tall, so he could get shots over anyone. But yeah. All right. What's
1: next? Should we go six man or rookie? Let's go six man. Who do you got? Okay. I'm going Emmanuel. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm going Malcolm Brown. Ah. Sorry, I was about to make my case against Emmanuel Quickly <laughs> and accidentally said him. So here's the thing with Quickly he's been freaking incredible this year. However, and I know you're going to say the same thing, we probably read all the same articles. Let me give you his stats uh, as an actual reserve. Uh, he's played, and let me just make sure I got the right. Okay, so his stats as an actual reserve 60 games this year. He averages 12, 4, and 3, and he shoots 43, 35, and 80. Fine. Respectable. Here's his stats as 19 games as a starter. 22, 5, and 5, and he averages 47%, 40% from 3, 83% from the line. So he basically goes from being like an average nice little player to being um, Jalen Brunson. So... I can't give him the six-minute-year award when it's clear that this guy is a starter and plays better as a starter, and his numbers are inflated because of being a starter. That's just antithesis to the actual vote. Um, however, he is an inc- prohibitive favorite uh, right now. If you look at FanDuel, I think I checked over the weekend; he was minus four fifty, and he's only added to that. Uh, you know, his incredible season. I'm going Brogdon off the bench the whole year, really stabilizing force behind a very shaky. Um, Marcus smart. And I just think that like perfect addition, everyone was, you know, Indy had to sell a little low on him because of the injury concerns. He's played 67 games this year, 26 minutes a night. He's 15, five, four, and three. And, and again, with Brogdon, he's always been an incredibly efficient player shooting 44% from deep. I think he's going to be a major X factor in the playoffs. And uh, you know, I think he's been so consistent all year that that's the big reason why even when Boston was, super scorching hot offensively to when they've dropped off a little bit. He's been kind of that steady force in the middle for him. So I'm going Brogdon. I have Brogdon too. Um,
0: yeah, like you said, this is his healthiest season since his rookie year. So he's actually played almost a full season. And they're the second best offense in the league. This is a, a team that the minutes in the non-smart minutes, in the bench minutes they used to have the past couple of years. It sometimes is was a train wreck. And I think by stabilizing that second unit, uh, it's brought a lot to the Celtics and given them that consistency they've been lacking. And I think in the playoffs, it's going to make a big difference because they actually have a reliable on-ball player who they can trust in, in like any situation. So I give it to Brogdon. The quickly argument, you're right. It's the same thing for me. It's like, look, this guy's been starting. That How do you evaluate that as a sixth man? And then... Mm-hmm. You know, quickly. Uh, sometimes he runs hot and cold, and I, I get that six man typically do that. But there are nights where he just disappears. I just like the steadiness of Brogden and the night to night consistency. Yeah. So I, I gave it to him as well.
1: Who else? Who else is you know kind of Bobby Portis is out there, right? Who I think has been very very good this year. I just don't think he's been quite as good as those guys. Austin Reeves has kind of emerged. Reeves just because
0: has been really good. Um, yeah. Malik Monk tailed off two months ago. I think he had an amazing case. Not he, anymo- anymore. He was, he's been a little banged up, right? He's been banged up, and his play has just been not... He's not been that good the last month or so.
1: Well, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's very strange how Kevin Herter and him either alternate can't minutes or alternate being like on fire. And so you never know who you're going to get on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, so. middle of the season when late, Herter late, was slumping, just been Monk like, I was I going off, and
0: then it flipped. So
1: Um, okay, cool. So I think we're pretty set there. Okay. Next up we have rookie of the year. Um, Palo Bencara has basically been favorited from day one before the season, all the way through the season up until now. However, there have been some late charging candidates, specifically Jalen Williams of Oklahoma city and Walker Kessler of Utah. I think those are the top three. Do you have one of those two instead of
0: Palo? It's been Paolo all year, and I think it's still Paolo. Um, we do this where every time a guy is dominated for the majority of the season, the last couple of months, people have to sprinkle in some other names and go, "What about this? What about Jalen Williams? He's been playing really well." I think we're overthinking it. Paolo has actually increased his out. He's his shooting percentages have only improved post All Star break, um, especially from three. And Orlando's been winning. At one point, uh, I think it may not be this. Uh, the same, but they had a top 10 record post all-star across the entire league. So they were winning. He's playing better. I think that's only helped his case since then. So to me, it's Paolo and it's an open and shut case. I would not even entertain another name.
1: I got Paolo as well. Here's the Jalen Williams argument. If I could make the case. Sure. It's efficient play kind of second or third scorer on a team that's fighting for its playoff life. So they're playing meaningful basketball and he's just fit. Awesome next to SGA and giddy. And again, starting getting a lot of opportunities. He has an easier role than Pella does, which is can explain some of the efficiency, but it's not just spot shooting. It's not just kind of like open looks he's creating. He's, you know, getting out on the break. He's been awesome. And I think like, I can't even believe like, OKC has those three dudes plus Chet to build from. So even if they don't get, uh, you know, a top pick, which it doesn't look like they're going to, they have a really, really good core. So I love Jalen Williams, but I still think Palace, start to finish has been the best rookie, and I'm not sure if that, you know, it's going to be that close.
0: To me, the second's not Jalen Williams. It's Ooh. Keegan Murray. Now, wow. what's the argument for Jalen Williams over Keegan Murray, right? Two more points. True. Keegan Murray is starting on the third seed in the West. He is, he set the rookie record for most threes. He's shooting over 40% from three. All as a rookie. And and yes, he scores a little bit less than Jalen Williams, but it's, it's marginal. It's not like 20 versus 10. And so to me, I think Keegan would deserve the second just because it's so hard to have that impact. So if you're going to talk about winning and you know, or not winning, if you're going to talk about, some of the intangibles, and not just the, the guy who drops 20 points a game, I'd pick Keegan over Jalen.
1: It's a very Kings-biased awards ballad for me. Here's the thing. I think Jalen's asked to do a little bit more offensively. Keegan is almost entirely a spot-up three-point shooter. He's been great. Um, there was a lot of talk about him over Ivy. To me, Keegan, Ivy, Walker, Kessler, Paolo, and uh, Jalen Williams are your all-rookie first team.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I, I think I agree with that. I think Kessler has
1: been incredible too. Um, yeah. But yeah, that so makes sense. anyway, so, but anyway, there's a lot of talk about did they make pick the wrong guy, right? At four versus a Ivy sitting there. And given the way Fox has developed, given the way Sabonis has been basically like the point big on that team, Murray was the perfect guy to slide next to to both of those like high usage players. He is, and Murray's got a lot of room to grow. I think the,
0: the most exciting thing about him is, um, He's not done. He's shown a tool set that's... he's Even though he's been mostly a spot-up three-point shooter, he's shown flashes of doing a lot more. I think he can be a souped-up Danny Granger
1: type, um, which is pretty good. Well, I was going to say the the most interesting present comp, just given what we've seen transpire this year, is Mikhail Bridges, which is three and D primarily he's met. He's not as He's a little bit thicker, a little bit. He, he's slower. He, doesn't play so, he can't play D as well. Yeah. But less about the play style, more about the capability on an offense. Right. And once you guys trade Keegan Murray and seven picks for Jason Tatum, <laughs> um, Murray goes to Boston and said, he's averaging 27 a game. And you just wonder what could have been. So I totally agree with that. The way McKelbridge just played to then what was unlocked when he
0: went to a kind of more system designed around him, same thing could happen with Keegan. So
1: all right, defensive player of the year. We did six man rookie. Let's get to is this is are we are we up to the Jerry West Clutch Award? Oh yeah, am I missing I'm, one? This oh is most improved, most improved,
0: most improved. I want to. I'll go. Yeah, I got Laurie Markkinen. I do too. Uh, I I will say this. Che is the other one I was mauling over, and arguably he made a tougher leap going from star to superstar is much harder than going from good player to star yeah um but i think there was always a possibility for him to do it right like he played really well last year in okc he's been trending up i think with marketing was left a little bit for dead in chicago and cleveland uh in cleveland especially they relegated him to the three made him just a shooter and i will admit i kind of gave up on what he could be and I think by resurrecting his career in Utah, bringing them to the brink of playoff contention, 50-40-90, um, just a consistent offensive workhorse, scoring from all three levels, I think he made the bigger leap in my in my mind. So I went with him.
1: I love uh, Laurie Marketin. This year has been a revelation. I liked him out of Arizona. He didn't pan out in Chicago, like you said. Basically looked like he was going to settle into a role-player role. Player role but he wasn't even super efficient for Cleveland. He was kind of an awkward fit at that small forward position next to Mobley and Allen. He comes to Utah. They got the new coach in, 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 uh, in Will Hardy. They have basically a hodgepodge roster of castaways from different trades that they made totally expected to tank. And all they do is come out of the gates guns blazing, mostly because he could drop 25 to 30 on anyone. Um, he's my pick as well, though. Now that you talked about, I'm like, man, the SGA glow was crazy because he it's not even like he was a bonafide star last year right he'd never been an all-star um we saw flashes but he turned into a first-team all-nba player like overnight uh so maybe i might switch my pick to him uh but let me just give lori a little bit more love i just i love how how versatile he became offensively um playing in that free-flowing system it was a lot of fun to watch utah gave most teams hell Even without him the other night, they almost took out the Lakers' uh, hopes of, you know, the seven or six seed. And so I just think, you know, I'm really curious to see what he does to build on this because they're not going to get that huge high draft pick that they thought. They still have a ton of other assets from other teams. So how quickly do they cash it all in to try to rebuild into something and allow him to be the centerpiece or the number two, you know, on a true, like, contending team versus – Letting him get his numbers, but being okay with losses. I hope it's the former because I think he can do this in a winning situation. It could easily be the latter, but uh, for the context of this season,
0: it, like I, I don't know if you can really build around him, to be completely honest. I think a little bit of a smoke and mirrors this year just because of the the West and how it's been, but he's shown definitely the capability
1: maybe but you just think about like we kept thinking he was going to tail off right like we kept thinking like oh this isn't going to last and he, he he as long as he's been playing he's been productive and yep. he's 26 and 9 and almost 50 40 90 and at this point you have to discount every person's stats by like <laughs> 20% so i'm not saying that that's like i mean that those numbers are like <laughs> basically better than Ray Allen's ever had so um <laughs> yeah not saying that but i am saying that like over the course of the year he never really had a defense that that took him out uh, consistently so smoke and mirrors in that he could he be the number 1 on a good team probably yes but could he be the number 2 i'm i'm intrigued now by what i've seen from him nope yep. it almost makes you wish they didn't trade Donovan Mitchell though obviously they were traded for each other well, yeah, so that I'm, doesn't really yeah yeah <laughs> all right the aforementioned Jerry West, Clutch Player Award. I'm going to give
0: you the floor. It's it's De'Aaron Fox by every metric. Um, actually, Kyrie, I think, just recently surpassed him in terms of total points scored.
1: Kyrie has been crazy in some um, of these fourth quarters. But. Yeah,
0: so... But look, all year long fought. The Kings, the dirty truth about the Kings is they've been in dog... Because of their poor defense, they're in dog fights with every team, no matter how poor the team is, you know, with the Rockets, no matter how good the team is, right? We talk about like the Grizzlies and Fox single-handedly has won so many games for them. They were five and zero in overtime up until they lost to the Spurs last uh, weekend. And all the metrics, man, that they, they, they just show how good he is in the clutch. And if you watch him, like all it takes is to watch him a few games, his ability to get that mid range shot, his speed, To get that first step on you and get to the rim and draw a foul. And then his ability to occasionally hit the three enough that you have to step out a bit. All that put together into an amazing clutch package. So,
1: yeah, it's Fox. I mean, I I watched, like, I think I've said this on the podcast or even over text. I watched more Kings basketball this year than maybe I have the last 10 seasons combined. And every game that was close, it's crazy how he was just constantly making the right play. And not just that, like, he was hitting these really difficult mid-range jumpers like every time I sh- he shot it, I thought I was going in and I don't remember feeling ever feeling that way about him for certain but in general like to to get to his spots that easily and without a lot of like pick and roll etc a lot of it was just his speed breaking down the defense um, the only other guy again SGA runner up here is as a second place I think but this has to be Fox's award I mean just start to finish he's been the best clutch player and you know I think it's a testament like King's not only you know, at first, it was like, Oh, the Kings are fool's gold, they're gonna drop. Then they weren't dropping, Then like, okay, the Kings are gonna, you know, once the all star break happened, it's like, All right, Kings are gonna be make the playoffs, but they're gonna be like six, right? They're not gonna really make it. And all they've done is just keep winning and winning and beating teams they quote unquote weren't supposed to beat, etc. And now it's, Oh, we just want the sixth seed to be able to play the Kings. And I really, really think that based on the matchup, they have they're they they may not be book favorites just given the popularity of the teams that they might be facing but i think if they play the warriors i know the sort of legacy and the just shadow of this gargantuan figures out there i think they're better than the warriors and so i really think that like a lot of that has to do with who's going to guard him down the stretch and wiggins right i mean <laughs> Aside from Wiggins not playing competitive basketball in like two and a half months, he's six eight. Is he really going to be able to check Fox in the open floor or even like in open space on the court? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And that's why it bodes well for the Kings in the playoffs because they're not just an up and down team on offense. They are a really good half court team, surprisingly, which... You know, sometimes it's a bonus,
1: right? That's just that's, that's, that's why he's been so good. That's Fox important. It's a
0: bonus. It's and they've got shooters, right? You when you surround a guy like Fox with shooters, it's you space the floor well. So it's uh, yeah, I think it's his reward.
1: By the way, if the Warriors do play the Kings, Poole is gonna really struggle because the Kings have great guard play and he can't guard a soul. So I'm interested to see what happens if it does end up being Warriors-Kings or even if it ends up being Lakers-Kings, for example, with Delo out there on an island on Fox. I think that's going to create a lot of problems for the Lakers, but they're just so big that it, that's the the counter.
0: Yeah, and the problem is our defense is it's so easy to keep up with us scoring-wise that yeah, these liabilities like Pool, you can keep them on the floor because they'll also be scoring 30, 40 points, and you'll take that trade off um what do we have left coach of the year
1: coach of the year yeah i think this is your boy mike brown this is already locked up yeah this is is a king's podcast move on executive of the year monty
0: mcnair lock it up move on
1: just give us all the awards let me take a quick second to think about executive of the year because what does it include it really includes things that they've done the offseason right because they don't get he doesn't get credit for the sabonis trade does he I think it. I think it should influence. I'm trying to think, who did the most? I mean,
0: Danny Ainge, if you want to say the trade.
1: Yeah, but the, I mean, they weren't good, so it's like, who knows if that ends up being a good trade or not? You want to hear an off the off the wall one? Cool. Sean Marks. Uh, I mean, uh, made the right coaching change, moving from Steve Nash to Jock Vaughn. Turned a disaster of a situation. I mean, first of all, if they just all stayed on board and Durant doesn't get hurt, maybe none of this gets blown up because, you know, they they keep winning. like were 20 and 18 and two down the stretch before the before his injury. But then turned that into Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, five picks, whatever it was, and still made the playoffs.
0: It, it it's, a, it's a good argument. You can look at executive there two ways, right? Like, what is the, ma- like, how do you maximize the assets or kind of turn the assets you have into something more valuable? And in that case, you could argue he, you know, uh, Sean Marks has done a great job because you get a Mikael Bridges, you've got picks, you've replenished this team after losing some of its biggest stars. But for, I think, Monty McNair, he's assembled a team that works really well that's very cohesive. All the pieces mm-hmm. fit. Malik Muck was a perfect addition off the bench. Herder making the move for Herder was he slots in perfectly. Um, like all these moves on the the fringes, it,
1: team building wise, I think is his argument. Fair. All right. So, but yeah, I think you you gave the Kings enough shine now now for a little bit more. Are all NBA teams? I'm gonna start with my first team all NBA. Remember, two guards, two forwards, and a center. They are changing this, as we'll get to. But in the first guard spot, I have Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Absolutely phenomenal season, 31-5-5 and for a Thunder team, way overperforming, I think, what anybody had uh, expectations for him. And, and we've covered him at length, but really impressive season. And it's crazy, the games that they're against, like, uh, superstar lineups, how he goes toe-to-toe like it's nothing with Booker, with Curry, with Durant, with Luca, like he just goes up against everyone and is just every bit as good. So he's got a lock spot for me, regardless of where the Thunder finish up. Second guard spot, I'm going Donovan Mitchell, um, 28 five and five, just been electric addition for uh, the Cavs. And oh, by the way, maybe Kobe Altman is the executive of the year uh, for making that type of deal to to get Donovan Mitchell. And it's interesting because Cleveland is such a good defensive team and. They still rely so heavily on him and Garland, and I think Garland's tailed off just a tad because Mitchell's been so good as of late. So that's that's second spot in the front court. I think this is pretty much uh, the easiest selections, and it really depends on who you have as your MVP. So I have Embiid, Giannis, and Tatum in the front court.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I hear your
0: arguments. I have SGA as a guard. Mm -hmm. next to him though i have luca and i get it the mavs not a great season disappointing but for me it's hard to i mean luca pretty much put up the same first of all better scoring better shooting uh than last year he's been phenomenal uh we talk about 33 8 and 8 that's i mean jordan's best season was what 32 8 and 8
1: I think yeah, it's, pretty much. Right? But didn't I just read you Laurie Marketing stats? Yeah, like, yeah. There's inflation. I get it. I'm not saying he's as statue. good as Jordan, right? I'm just saying that that all-around play,
0: the defense has never been good at Luka. I think you can argue it's been even a little bit more disappointing this year, some of the effort he's had. But if you're going to put SGA, they, the Thunder have the same record as the Mavs. So to me, Luka's season and dominance has still been so good that... He deserves a first team slot now. Donovan Mitchell, I know, has a very good case, and they're actually winning. But at this point, you're kind of I'm I'm splitting hairs a bit. I I just think Luka's been still so good; it's just gotten lost in the drama around Dallas and their performance. But if we're gonna put SGA up in first team, that's the reason I put Luka. They have the same record.
1: I, uh, I can never get over the back to back losses to Charlotte in my lifetime. <laughs> no, I think Luca, if you look, if he gets it, it makes total sense. He's having a ridiculous season. He hasn't been awesome down the stretch. Like a lot of times, I think we were unfairly putting the blame on Kyrie, and maybe it's indirectly Kyrie in that they lost some wing depth and some defense. But Luca has not been great um, in this pairing, and he hasn't been great since coming back from injury. So maybe it's a little recency bias just looking at the last month and really the body of work spells first team on NBA. I wouldn't be mad at Luca. He's on my second team. Uh, it's it's very, very close between him and Mitchell for me. So if they finish up strong and do end up making the plan, and I don't think it's fair to compare to SGA because the expectations are different. But if they do end up making the plan, then I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I think, moving Luca up to first team. But if they're like you know the 11th seed in the West when they had plenty of chances to advance, it's going to leave a bad taste in my mouth.
0: Okay. Understood.
1: Um, all right. Second team. What do you got? I got Donovan Mitchell.
0: So okay. that just flipped. I got Darren Fox. Okay. Second team. Um, I've got Jimmy Butler. Yep. Lowry Markkinen. Wow. And Jokic. Now, look, this is a mess. Evaluating when you're... The problem with this year is the games played is all over the place, the yeah. records are all over the place. I can't see who's on a good. I can't tell who's on a good team. I can't tell who's played enough games. I think Fox gets the nod because of the winning, the stats, and um, I think I'll get to my third team. I think he's just there's reasons I have him over the guards on the third team. Jimmy Butler, I think you probably have him right. That's not controversial. Laurie yep. Mark and this one's a little hard. I just think. Utah, for the most of the season, was a top-eight team. Now, the last couple weeks, they fell apart a little bit, but I I think because he's been solely the best player on that team and everything you already said about Markkanen and I said about Markkanen, I think that warranted a second team. Because the other forwards that I have on the third team, I think all of them have significant knocks on their resume that – I feel more comfortable giving it to Laurie Markinen. So, and Jokic is obviously just is the Embiid Jokic. Yep, that's obvious.
1: So Jokic and Butler uh, and Luca are three of mine. And then I went John Morant, and despite the suspension and all of the uh, shenanigans that took place, I went John Morant, and I went Julius Randle. who is a guy. Just I have. A, what do you want me to do? I have an affinity for his. ISO low efficiency game that still puts up numbers. And you talk about a guy who plays every night, even despite the sprained ankle, somehow he sprained his ankle missed two weeks and is still going to finish with 77 games played. Um, total iron man and really carried them, especially through Brunson's injury and the Knicks are back, baby. So I'm going to reward Julius Randall uh, on that second team All NBA. I don't mind Randall there. I mean, by all accounts,
0: by how well the Knicks have played, by how well he's played, but what like it's, Deserve. Like what's
1: the argument for Laurie over, over Randall? The
0: argument I, I just think that Randall shares the burden with Brunson. Um I think Laurie it, it, it and just the efficiency, like I know I mean Randall has not been bad, but the 50 40 90 on the volume that he's as the number one option on a team. Yep. Like I said, that even though they're not that good, they're not the four, fifth seed or fourth seed like the Knicks they've been competitive and winning big games all year. And I just Randall, I think it's a personal preference. Honestly, he's des- his play deserves second team, it's deserving of second team, but I when when Brunson was off the floor, I hated the way he played. And I just did not like that the the, the Chuck, I think Brunson stabilizes him a lot more, but when Brunson was off the floor, Randall did not look good. And so that kind of has stuck in my mind. That's
1: true. That's definitely true. Um, And I think think Randall is going to make All-NBA, but this comes back to your point around, like, the forwards that have been at an All-NBA level who have been better than these guys are not eligible. Kevin Durant, he hasn't played enough. Kawhi Leonard, he hasn't played enough. Plus, he was, like, loading, ramping up. Paul George, he hasn't played enough. Zion Williamson, he hasn't played enough. You could make an argument, maybe LeBron gets close. I'm curious to see who's on your third team. I'm sure if there's a way to shoehorn him in, you will. But even he's played low 50s. Anthony Davis is low 50s. So all of those guys are better than Julius Randle and have played better this season than Julius Randle. Um, But it's just just like it's a numbers game, and we're going to talk about the CBA here to close, but that's what we're going to get more of moving forward with these games requirement minimum.
0: All right, so then why don't you lead with your third team?
1: Okay. So I went De'Aaron Fox. Um, I went Stephen Curry, who is going to be by far the fewest games played, but just ridiculous season when he's been out there. I went Lori Markkinen, Jalen Brown, and Sabonis. And I'll tell you this. Anthony Davis deserves marking in spot in my opinion but he is just not a forward anymore so by the letter of the law you have to put him at center and i'm not putting him over sabonis but if i had to if i had to fudge a little you know make a little bit of a change in terms of the role of the player versus the position it would be anthony davis to me even despite playing 10 or 12 fewer games and uh than mark and i think he's been that good i wish
0: i had more to argue um let me go through. Well, my yeah, like
1: how many of the same players you think made each of our teams? Every single one. Really? So
0: my my third team is Ja, Steph, <laughs> Julius Randle, Jalen Brown, and Sabonis. Now, I really, really today I almost subbed out Jalen Brown for LeBron. Because I think LeBron has got a really good argument. And the moment we start adding guys like Steph. Why not LeBron? They're both literally in the same race. LeBron's stats have also been insane. What he did against Utah a couple nights ago was insane. Here's where I'm actually going to knock LeBron. And I don't have him on my ballot. I kind of want to, but to me, LeBron defensively these last couple years has not been great. But he's had moments of effort. I think every time I've watched the Lakers this year, he's coasted a lot more. Um, And I, you know, look, I defend LeBron all the time. He's age, everything, but it's more bladed coasting in the Laker games I've watched. Granted, it's only a small sample. And it it just hasn't sat as well with me. And so for me, you know, Jalen Brown and Julius Randle with the other options that I have on my third team, I think those guys have just played a lot and played very well and on teams that have consistently been winning. So I'm leaving LeBron off, but... I felt bad because Steph also has the games played argument and the team's not that good. And it's not like he's a defensive juggernaut, but I just think that LeBron has also had an assist from how good ad has been this year. So the argument's not as strong. So I'm leaving him off. Yeah. And I hope everyone who listens to this sees I'm not a complete <laughs> Homer.
1: Well, no, they know that from all the Kings that have been mentioned across <laughs> the, across the episode. I just went back and looked. Here's where we stand. Game's played. Steph Curry and AD are at 54. LeBron is at 53. Kawhi Leonard's at 50. And Kevin Durant's at 46. So I don't think Durant's played enough for sure. He'll probably play one more game, maybe two. The rest of those guys are going to end up low to mid-50s. I pick Steph, so you could say, "Why pick Steph when you have LeBron?" It's not like the Warriors have been world beaters; they've been anything but this year. But I just like Steph more than I liked Harden, uh, more than I liked Brunson, more than I like Drew. You know, so that's or, or Dame for sure, who's actually going to have fifty-eight games played, right? But. That's what it is. Um, I do think LeBron is going to have an outside chance to make this team because he's going to end up at 55 games, which is the same amount like Kevin Durant played last year when he made All-NBA. Um, and I think it's right around where LeBron was when he also made All-NBA. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this vote turns out because marketing has been sitting. The Jazz have been sliding. Jalen Brown's advanced numbers are terrible compared to like his actual counting stats, which are way better, but his team is awesome. And then after that, I don't know where else you go, right? Like, there's really not another good candidate because because Kawhi, who's been playing and playing pretty consistently for the last few months, has also, A, missed a ton of games up front, and then, B, you know, was ramping. So he wasn't even starting at the beginning of the season, if you remember. One guy is Paul George. 56 games played, 24-6-5. and five. Yeah.
0: Uh, LeBron has got a good argument because – and by the, when the dust settles, this Lakers team could be a f- sixth or fifth seed. All of a sudden, yeah. it's not like they're that bad. And it's it, you're nitpicking at this point. So I decided I to. I mean, he's he's 29, 8, and 7 in years. Yeah, year he's, been, he's been amazing. He's he's been amazing. I'm actually nitpicking at this point. The Dame, I want to talk about Dame. There was no <laughs> chance in hell Dame was making my third team. Is sorry he's ass if he's going to complain about the loyalty and not being respected and recognized. I don't care if you put up 40, 10, and 10, move yourself to a better team then. Stop expecting to get all your flowers when your team's not winning. This is the price you pay for staying in Portland. You can't have it both ways. You can't be all NBA and recognized and everyone loves you and you're on a bad team. I, it doesn't work that way. So
1: I'm leaving him He all. wants it all. He definitely wants it all. Because he openly said he thinks he's
0: All-NBA, first-team All-NBA.
1: Get out of here. He's played like it in a vacuum, and they've been good when he plays, right? But you can't play 58 games and then be on a team that goes like 34 and 48 and is the 13th seed out west or whatever they are. And expect yeah. that type of and accolades. it's it's not his he fault. Can't have it both ways. It's yeah. not his
0: fault. Like that team sucks. It's not his fault. But still, you're not going to get recognized, even though his stats have been
1: incredible. Agreed. All right, that's it. So we had the same exact 15 people. I actually think it's gonna. I think something's different's gonna happen. I do not think marketing's gonna make it. So I'm trying to figure out who might fill that slot spot. It could be, it LeBron, could be LeBron, right? I, I yeah. think LeBron could just slot in there. By the way, you know who should be in deep consideration that we didn't even mention? Devin Booker. LeBron's at 53 games. Booker's at 52. He's been ridiculous this season when he's played. So Booker has a forward argument maybe, but guard, like how, where no, do you no, put him he, in? You he, he would either give him Steph's spot or yeah, you but could give him Fox's if you gonna
0: spot. If you're going to reward a one low score, uh, volume games guy it'll be Steph over Booker still for me. Or do you give him Fox a spot?
1: No. Dude, Fox, you, like at who, some who point. Do you have
0: Jaw Jaw on third team? I have Jaw on third team. Jaw's a, a good case for second team. I only bumped Jaw. Honestly, I don't mean. I, I just bumped him because of all the BS that's been going on, yeah. whether it's fair or not. Um but he has an argument for second team too.
1: I don't think Booker has a real argument, and a real avenue, and he doesn't really play forward, so that doesn't hold. Um, but I think he's been awesome, so I just want to shout him out.
0: Yeah, definitely. He's been great.
1: All right, let's quickly wrap. You got to run. Let's quickly wrap for two minutes on the CBA, 65 game minimum. So all of these guys that we were talking about would be ineligible. Um, what'd you make of that? That's basically right over 80% of the season. Do you like that number? Is it too high, too low? Do you think it's going to be gamed? You think it's going to be useful? I have a lot of you... thoughts
0: on this. I think it's, I think it's an okay number. Um, to the people who say it's going to be gamed. First of all, I think Lowe's already said that the way they've interpreted this rule has been set up is it's not a hard, fast rule. If a guy makes, if Steph is at 64 games and the guy who's replacing him, who's way worse is 66, that does not mean Steph doesn't make it. There is room for some kind of arbitration
1: around whether a guy is to Huh? How do we decide that? What does that mean? Like, I've heard this.
0: I think the whole point of 65 games is not a hard and fast rule, but it's setting a milestone in the voter's mind that if you're not at six, if you're not even close to 65, you should not be considered. If you're close, you have to factor in, you know, you have to have a good reason to put them on your ballot. So it's just creating a threshold to like, okay, if they're below that threshold, they need a really strong case. Otherwise you shouldn't vote for him. So I think it's still a very subjective criteria, and to everyone saying that, look, these guys will just check in and then um, play a minute, or not even a minute, just immediately sub out, and they get the credit for the game played. First of all, that's going to tank their stats if they do that more than one or two games. So if they do that for five games just to hit sixty-five, they're not going to want to do that. And second yeah. of all, we can see through that the media is still voting on this award if they see yeah, a guys. do it's, not, done like this we for five it's games, not like we just they look just at won't the spreadsheet. Vote. Like yeah. it's. So I'm not worried about any of these things at all. I do think it's still going to be a subjective process, and it's we're not going to have this problem where all these scrubs make it. Um, so I actually think it'll be fine. Honestly, I'm not worried.
1: But what do you think? I think it's a good number. Um, I think it would – I was surprised to see it that high, frankly. I thought it was going to be 60 because it was rumored that it was coming in. I agree with you. There's going to be ways to get around it. Or, you know, even if they don't want to come in for five games, they'll just there's also gonna be guys who don't care. Like Kevin Durant doesn't care about all NBA anymore. Like he clearly every time he like stubs his toe, he misses six weeks, right? So none of that matters to certain guys and the young guys who really care about it, the Tatums and Foxes and Jalen Browns and whatever the world, they're playing seventy games anyway. Um I think where it'll be interesting is if this is what's going to be crazy, is the supermax stipulations around all NBA. Right. And suddenly there is this and like, let's say a team wants to load manage you, which everyone is now saying is the team's decision, not the players team wants to load manage you. But in the back of their minds, they also are thinking about keeping you under the 65 game marks. They don't have to pay you more like there's going to be some interesting fallout from that because of the contract tie to performance and, and making the All NBA team. And remember, it's not just first or second, because if you look at first or second team, it's not going to change that much it's right the now. Third team. <laughs> it's the third team, but third team qualifies for Supermax. And so that's what's going to be super fascinating to watch down the stretch when guys are eligible. Like we've talked about Jalen Brown. If he makes it, it's going to explode the Celtics cap number, right? But he obviously wants to make it for the extra cash. I'm sure they want to make it him to make it as a mechanism to keep him, but they can pay him more than anyone else no matter what. So how is that all going to play out? I'm, I'm fascinated to watch.
0: And that's why it cannot be a hard and fast rule. There's just too many incentives I hate the fact that the contracts are tied to all NBA, but it is yeah. what it is. And that hasn't changed. So I just think the 6 game, it's not going to be hard and fast rule. At the end of the day, the media votes, and this is pretty much planting a seed and a guideline saying if they don't play 65, you need a really good reason. Um, so I, I don't think it'll cause as many problems, but we'll see because this discourse... It'll get messy towards the end of next year when people are like, then why'd you make mm-hmm. the rule in the first place? There's like five guys under 60 and we end up letting them all in. Then Adam Silver's NBA, we just bend over to the players. So,
1: yeah, you just do whatever they say and just make sure they don't <laughs> yell at you. So, we'll see, we'll
0: see what happens.
1: But the I'm last watching. thing I'd add the last thing I'd add the play in the, the the midseason tournament, I don't think we can comment on it yet because we don't have all the details. It seems like you know, the one good thing I'd say is that it's counts towards the regular season game total. So at least it has some value and that it works towards like playoff advantages. But I do think they need to figure out a way to give the winner more than just money. Cause they don't need money clearly by seeing what happens at the all-star game. I don't know if it's too crazy to say they get a guaranteed top eight spot. No meaning. Meaning if they finish seven, they just keep seven. If they finish below eight, they just get eight. And if they finish above that, they get whatever they get. Now, that would be interesting.
0: That actually, that's not a bad idea. I was going to say, if you just give any team, like so if like Orlando goes hard for the tournament and wins, they automatically get in the playoffs. And if they end the season, like 25, 57. They
1: would get the eighth seed in my scenario. Oh, I don't want to. What's that. the likelihood of that. Orlando doing that? Because all you have to do is win the midseason
0: tournament, then tank the rest of the year so you can still get a top five pick and you're still No, because the if
1: you're in the playoffs, you don't get the pick, right? It just it takes your record up there.
0: Okay, but then if I'm Orlando, why would I want to win the tournament? Because I want to keep my options
1: open to getting the pick. The Wizards on. would go hard for it the wizards will go
0: hard for anything that i still wins, but... it's not a bad idea the, i'm not ugh, people just want to complain about everything dude like what's wrong with the mid-season tournament it's gimmicky sure it's weird but it's the regular season games
1: i need to see it once i just need to see it one time to see how hard they and, go.
0: and, and the thing is it's easy to just get rid of and forget about it in the course of history because it's not like we've added games we're not creating a separate mechanism to do this
1: But this is what doesn't make sense because they're like, this will contribute to the games and then the champions will both, the the teams that are in the championship will play 83 games each, which won't count towards season stats. However, what about the teams that don't make it into the tournament? Like, wouldn't they play less than the ones that are actually going through the bracket? Oh, I didn't think about that. (laughs) Super confused every time they've listed that. I'm not really sure. I I don't follow. Maybe Um, they just play each other while the other teams are in the tournament.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what it'll be. Like, they'll probably set aside, for all the teams that don't advance, they get matched up in the game that compensates for the, you know, the ones who are still in the tournament. And those players. are just regular season And it's games. only the finals that they don't do that for, which is the last game.
1: The sick thing is, this is what would make it sick. See, there's ways to make this sick. The championship game, everyone has to, all the players have to be there live. And they got to sit courtside. That would be awesome. Because you don't really get to see teams go hard with all the stars there, right? Because it's usually the All Star Game, which sucks. Um, so if you had everyone there and like, it's I don't know, Suns. I, I don't know if they're doing an East and West thing. I hope not, so you can get some like inter conference matchups for the. No, they'll do inter
0: conference. They're not gonna keep it East to West.
1: Do they say that?
0: No, but I have a feeling like this is your opportunity to mix it up and do something different, right? Why limit? Yeah, it? I agree. It, um, it could. I mean, look, I I think. The way I think about this is they're planning to the see this can evolve. They can change it. They can update it. They can change the incentives. They can change the format. Think about the way they did the um, all-star game. I'm not saying that the way they did the all-star game is good, but you can continue to evolve it as long as it's not taking away from the length of the season, the overall structure, which it's not, I think it's fine. So try it out. We'll see how it works. And then they can right. tweak it right now. Half a million per player is not bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's see what happens. I'm sure they'll figure it out. They'll tweak it because that's exactly what we all said about the play-in tournament, and that's turned out to be an amazing edition. Which I always NBA said school. was going to be
0: amazing. So Yeah.
1: So, all right, that's a wrap for us. You got to roll. I got to go watch uh, Kevin Durant versus the Jokic and murray List Nuggets. <laughs> Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. Next week, we're going to come back with... Uh, our, uh over under uh, outcomes because we, we'll see where those landed I know the wizard's over I was gonna lose on it because I took the under but then they just tanked their whole season and now they're <laughs> gonna they're gonna miss that 35 and a half which is growing golden so anyway we'll come back with some more data on that and, and walk through it but until then have a great weekend and we will talk to you next week.